0: So welcome to the podcast. This is episode 100. We're moving from two digits into three digits. Episode 100. This is the podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's uh, great to have you. Great to have you here. Um, I'm pretty sure that I've talked about this before, but I want to talk about it some more. I want to talk about it again, Uh, and that is the issue of boycotts. Okay, the issue of boycotts. Um. We we see that um, the secular left is uh, going in big time for boycotts. They wanna they want companies to divest if they have any holdings uh, that are connected to Israel, and they they want to um, boycott Netflix and Disney. Both uh, threatened to boycott uh, Georgia um, uh, to not make movies there in Georgia uh, because of uh, the abortion law, the heartbeat abortion law that was just that was just signed there. And uh, a lot of Christians have gone in for this for over the years and have said, well, we, we need to um, we need to boycott this company because you know, they're uh, doing this evil thing or this vile thing. Um, one of the one of the, the a website that's dedicated to knitters, uh, Ravelry, just announced that they, they they would not have any tolerance for Trump supporters on this knitting website. Uh, I mean, n- seriously, knitting? Um, because they were taking a stand against white supremacy, and I'm tempted to wonder wh- why why can't we ex- have all our knitting websites tell us what our views ought to be on the Federal Reserve interest rate or Come on! Everything has gotten so uh, politicized, and then so then some Christians will say, "Well, should we, should we boycott? Should we boycott um, and, and and here's this is the basic um, uh, answer: No, we are not morally obligated to detach ourselves from morally problematic businesses. And this is um, uh, this is something we find in the New Testament. Um, the Apostle Paul tells us that when you um, when you're considering the uh, eating of meat that was offered to uh, idols, the thing that you should uh, take into account, the thing that you should be uh, have in the front of your mind, is your relationship with your brother. Uh, you don't have to worry about the meat. The meat is not demon possessed. So, for example, if uh, if today let's let's say Burger King um, instituted uh, a new practice where they had a little alcove in the back by the by the grill and a little goddess, a little statue of a goddess in it, and the guy whichever um, employee was back there grilling up the hamburgers, whenever he had a tray of hamburgers done he would turn around, offer the tray up to the goddess, say a little prayer, and then shove the shove the hamburgers out the little window. Now, if that were happening at McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's, if that were happening, uh, thought experiment, would there be a controversy in the Christian church over whether or not it was lawful to eat at that establishment anymore? I mean, there they're sacrificing these hamburgers to demons they're saying a prayer over them to demons and let's say they really are um we want to be careful because a lot of there are a lot of crazy rumors that go around the christian world and things are said you know of corporations doing things for the devil and they're not really but but in the apostle paul's time the best meat uh was available in the shambles the uh, you know when the um uh, when the Animals were sacrificed to these various gods and goddesses. The temples would frequently turn around and sell the meat that had been offered uh, up to their god or goddess. And Paul argues that it, it's perfectly lawful to buy meat there and eat that meat. He says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The meat is not demon possessed. But he goes on, if you are eating this meat that was offered to an idol, yesterday afternoon, and you're eating it at your Christian potluck, you know, Christian barbecue today, and you have a guy at your potluck, you have a guy at your barbecue who was just converted last week, and he was converted out of the worship of that particular goddess, and he cannot disassociate the eating of that meat from the worship of the goddess. And if he sees you, the stronger Christian, eating that meat, and he says, oh, must be all right to eat that meat. And so, he eats the meat, and then he tumbles back into the idolatry. Paul says it would be be better not to eat meat forever than to stumble your brother in that way. So, what Paul's after is the relationship issue um, here. Paul emphatically teaches that the meat itself does not have cooties. Even though if I bought let's say I bought that roast for ten bucks from an idol temple. That means my ten bucks goes into their coffers, and they're not going to do good and godly things with it. But Paul doesn't—Paul nowhere says that we have to separate ourselves um, economically from ungodly enterprises. Um, So, we should we, we don't need to worry about who owns Safeway or if the Mormons own this hotel chain or uh, the, that really is a matter of indifference. What matters is whether you're stumbling your brother or not okay so if um now that with that said, a boycott can be uh, lawfully pursued if it's pursued as a tactic which is different than Pursuing a boycott as a moral necessity, a tactic is simply something that you're doing to try to improve things in your your little corner. Uh, a moral necessity, it doesn't matter if if it works or not. You just have to say, "I'm not going to do it." It's sort of like uh, uh, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to eat uh, the king's food, and that was a matter of a, that was a moral necessity. And it didn't matter how stupid they looked. And it just didn't matter. They weren't going to do it. So um, uh, if, I, if I lived in a small town, and let's say the local gas station in that town started carrying pornography, started selling pornography, and the town had 50 people in it, we didn't want the kids in the town having access that easy access to pornography, and someone organized a boycott. Shoot, let's say that I organized the boycott. Um, and I, I was telling, you know, Billy Bob here that we're just going to buy our gas down the road, five miles down the road until you quit, uh, infusing, uh, porn into our little town. This is simply a tactic. It's pressuring. It's, it's pressuring someone who you're living close to in order to get him to do something that is uh, beneficial that you consider to be beneficial. Now, let's say I've organized this boycott, but I have to drive over to, to Seattle in the middle of the boycott. Uh, is it a sin or inconsistent for me to buy gas at a gas station over there that sells porn from behind the counter? Well, I might have a hard time finding a gas station over there that doesn't, right? It's no inconsistency. The issue is not the gas. The gas doesn't have cooties. The gas is not demon possessed. The issue is relationship and what you're what what you 're doing what you 're accomplishing, so boycott for Christians boycotts are good uh, boycotts are good if we think of them tactically and and we deploy them somewhat rarely and in all wisdom okay we don't have to partake in boycotts uh, for the sake of moral cleanliness, with the exception of um, an activity that is itself sinful so this is what's behind the bakers and the videographers and the photographers and the uh, florists who are refusing to glorify same-sex uh weddings what they're doing is they're they're saying they're they're applying this principle uh just as as i've described it if a homosexual comes into your bakery and he wants to buy a birthday cake you say, absolutely, and you sell him a birthday cake, because it's not a sin for a homosexual to have a birthday. He, if he wants a wedding cake, you can't use your um, skills to try to glorify an event that ought not to be glorified. Will be God. God. So, we are uh, working our way through podcast episode 100, triple digit podcast, and we uh, are continuing our series of hamartiology, and the word apate, A-P-A-T-E, refers to deceit and deceitfulness. So, one of the remarkable things about Scripture's use of this word is that the majority use concerns the deceitfulness of sin and not deceitfulness as sin. Uh, Deceitfulness as sin is you telling lies. Um, The deceitfulness of sin is sin lying to you. Uh, there is, of course, Christ's reference to the deceitfulness of riches in his parable. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. There it is, choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. That's uh, Matthew 13:22 and Mark 4:19. And then in Hebrews we read this: But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened. Through the deceitfulness of sin, that's Hebrews three thirteen. Sin lies; sin is a deceiver. Paul explains to us that our lusts are deceitful and not just wrong. Uh, So, our lusts are wrong, and our lusts lie to us. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. So the corruption that we Uh, experience, when we give way to lust, is a corruption that we were assured would not happen. Uh, This corruption is something we uh, we were told it wouldn't go this way. These lusts are deceitful. And the Apostle Paul lumps vain deceit in with the pursuit of philosophy. He says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, again, there it is, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So unrighteousness generally is the same way. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.10, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So that's deceivableness, deceitfulness of unrighteousness. And then 2 Peter 2.11, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime spots they are and blemishes sporting themselves sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you second peter two thirteen. when people give give way to this kind of dissipation they are not rebelling uh or i I'll, i should say they are not just rebelling of course they're rebelling but they're not just rebelling they are also telling themselves lies the entire time um so a man who s- starts committing adultery is lying to himself about where, what the end game is. Someone who is um, giving way to bitterness is l- lying to himself or to herself the entire time about what the end result of all this is. What will the harvest be? How can I plow and plant these seeds and expect a good harvest? How can I, how can I do that? Well, the answer is, we cannot. God. God so, my book review this time, episode uh, 100 of the podcast, my book review is um, the most recent book by C.R. Wiley, uh, and the book is called The Household and the War for the Cosmos. The Household and the War for the Cosmos. Now, uh, this is a unique book. It's not a, it's not a monster book. It's a fairly small book, but it was um uh, it was a unique experience reading it. Because uh as Wiley works through the book, he's building uh, it, the the entire book is a sustained argument. And you you realize as you get near the end that he's coming to the conclusion of the book and the, the con- of course of course, if you're coming to the end of the book, he's coming to the conclusion of the book, but he's coming to the crescendo of an argument, and the title of the book is "The Household and the War for the Cosmos." What he is, um, what what Wiley, in effect, does, is he shows that um, the household codes. And I'll take the probably the best example of this would be uh, from the Book of Ephesians, the famous. Uh, chapter in Ephesians 5. So you, well, and then it runs over into chapter 6, where it's talking about—in chapter 5, it's talking about husbands and wives. Uh, in uh, chapter 6, he's talking about children and and servants and household codes. Uh, what Wiley does is he shows that um, these household c- codes are not a postscript. They're not an, oh yeah, uh, i uh, I'm finishing up this book on spiritual warfare in the heavenly places. I'm finishing up this book on um, how we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. But let me throw some practical stuff in that has nothing to do with anything. Um, Or, you know, you should live this way because, after all, we're in the Greco-Roman culture, and we have to uh, pay attention to these sorts of things so we don't offend the neighbors. Uh, No, what Wiley shows is that um, the... The way God wants us living in our households is, is a key part of his battle plan. It's a, it's a key part of how Christians ought to be comporting themselves so that we will have the impact in this world that we ought to have as we conduct our spiritual warfare. So uh, we're not supposed to put these things in different jars and store them in different pantries. Um, what Paul is doing through the book of Ephesians is showing that, that the household code, the, the way he wants Christians to live, the way he wants a husband to, to relate to a wife, the way he wants a wife to relate to her husband, the way he wants parents to relate to their children, this is key to how the gospel is going to go out into the world and transform it. You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.